Welcome back, Dad, and all our listeners to Podcast 30. Uh, Today we're going to finish Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So we've been going through it. It's been quite a while, and I'm, I'm happy to be finishing this up. So we will explore how everyone in the kingdom, those on the narrow road, should expect hardships, but need not worry because they have eternal life. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the first thing we'll look at, because we're looking at Matthew 7, 13 through 29. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a big passage. So how Christians should expect hardships. This goes directly against the prosperity gospel movement right. uh, based on God's word. Jesus will then tell his followers how to identify false prophets. I find that this passage is greatly abused because some Christians misapply Jesus's words and become fruit inspectors of fellow Christians. Exactly. How many sermons have we learned just to evaluate mm-hmm. fellow Christians mm-hmm. um, just simply based on if they're saved or not? Yes. So we're going to look at actually the context of this passage. Mm. Jesus will discuss the judgments after the tribulation, known as the sheep and goat judgments for the Gentiles, and the passing under the rod judgment for the Jews. Mm. I taught on that. I did a video on that, mm-hmm. so I'll link that at the That's end. Good. Yeah. Unbelievers will point to their works, but Jesus will reject them because they did not place their faith in him. So they're going to say, look at all that we've done. And he's mm-hmm. going to say, depart from me. Yeah. Uh, that's another abuse passage. How many gospel presentations have I heard that's right. that people who will die before the tribulation, uh, it, they'll be separated like sheep and goats. And it's like, wait yeah. a second, that's that's... Not what happens for the majority of people. Exactly. He's going to conclude his sermon by presenting two choices. Either obey his word and stand during difficult times or reject them. Mm-hmm. Embrace your own philosophies and fall. Mm-hmm. So this is podcast 30 in the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus said in the New Testament. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a big title here. Right. I tried to break it down as much as possible. <laughs> but did well. The Narrow Road, Identifying False Prophets, Unbelievers rejected by Jesus and obeying Jesus's words from Matthew 7, 13 through 29. Yes. I have no idea I'm going to fit that graphic. I'm Pastor Kenny Bird Jr., Associate Pastor at Culminator Bible Church and Creator of Theology for Everyday Life for Kids. So I, we broke tradition. I used right. my uh, kid cup that I have from season one, which we're looking at every narrative in the Gospels. And uh, season one is has been done for about a year. Season two is very far in production. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to start posting some next week. So, little shout out for that. And I'm joined by my father, Dr. Ken Bird, senior graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, author of the Fire series, and senior pastor at Colmer Manor Bible Church. Anything you want to add there before we start? Good to be back. Yes, I just am excited to to dive in because of the misrepresentation. So often we need to be fruit inspectors. And mm-hmm. if you turn it on its head and you look at us inspecting the fruit of those that Jesus said, I never knew you, they seem to have great works. Um, Paul says, I don't even judge myself, you know, because none of us have that capacity to do that. <laughs> so this is, this is helpful to get Jesus's greatest sermon, you know, ever preached before us. Yeah. But then also it corrects so much misinformation out there. Oh, it's one of those, you know, it just hits hard. It does. I'm amazed how many words of Jesus are just taken out of context. You always hear the term proof texting, Mm -hmm. where proof texting, I think when applied properly, I don't know if it's a proof text then. Yeah. But when you just take one single verse and try to apply to an entire doctrine when there's others. So we're going to look at that. Uh, I know it's a new year. 
So happy new year. Thank you. <laughs> I know I made a bunch of goals and you made goals. And one of my goals is to try to cut out slang phrases that I use too often. I always sit and listen back to the podcast as I edit <laughs> and it's like, oh, why do I say that? Or fill in, use those fill in words. So that is one thing I am trying to do. But uh, let's go ahead and get started because okay. it's a longer passage and mm -hmm. just knock this out yes. um, in a good way so we understand it. Yes. So the narrow road, entering the kingdom through Christ. Mm. Jesus, as we know, is referred to the prophet by Moses, not Muhammad, as the Muslims teach. <laughs> they say it's Muhammad, it's not, it's Jesus, is about to share a message informing the people that most will choose not to follow him. Mm -hmm. To clarify this idea, he employs a simple image for his followers to visualize. visualize. Mm -hmm. And this is what I think is so interesting about Jesus. He uses, he didn't have PowerPoint, obviously, yeah. anything like that. So, he uses visuals. And you can almost picture here he is teaching and you can see the kind of roads on the back. Mm. There's roads leading up because mm -hmm. they're pretty sure where the Sermon on the Mount was yeah. located. And you think of that and Probably the people are looking out as Jesus is teaching this. Mm. So envision two gates, each yeah. leading to a distinct road, yeah. because it's hard to tell if he's saying gate or road. Yeah. Uh, the first road symbolizes the challenging journey through life in the spiritual kingdom of God, a tough path that ultimately leads to the physical kingdom. Those who embrace Jesus's teachings may encounter difficulties like mockery, persecution, or even death from their own communities. Mm -hmm. However, Jesus' words provide comfort as they anticipate the glory that awaits them. So it's kind of like, I'm saved, so I can make it through this way. Mm -hmm. It's not dangling in front of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's a second gate leading to the broad road, mm -hmm. a path chosen by many. Consider all the people throughout history who have rejected Jesus and his teachings, and this popular path signifies those outside the spiritual kingdom aligning with mainstream beliefs. Unfortunately, those who follow this road end up in the lake of fire. So I, I think, once again, people read too much into Jesus's words sometimes, and mm -hmm. everything's a symbol of everything. Exactly. Or I think he's just giving a very simple, I agree. simple analogy. Yeah. Um, so he starts, verse 13, if you're reading with us, enter through the narrow gates. I think something I caught this time was in John, he calls himself the gate. That's right. Uh, we would say, I am the door, I am the gate. Mm -hmm. So basically, you don't get through unless you go through him. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. Uh, I should say, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. So you see this little narrow gate he mentions, doesn't tell us much about it right now. And then he talks about this big, wide gate. I um, tend to think of a turnstile, you know, you go <laughs> to a stadium. I mean, it's a very narrow entrance. That's what I envision. You'd referred to uh, Jesus being uh, the gate uh, in John chapter 10. Uh, when you go to Israel, there are still sheepfolds in mm -hmm. Bethlehem. And oftentimes, if you didn't have an enclosure, the shepherd himself would just lie there to keep oh. the sheep safely inside. Uh, he is the narrow gate. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that's the visual. No one gets to the Father except through him. Exactly. So here he is sleeping in the gate. That's right. And uh, obviously these people understood that concept where right. we have to kind of get out our Bible dictionaries and stuff and that's try right. to figure that's out, right. yeah. see all the word pictures. 
But uh, so enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate. So most people travel through the wide gate, not Mm -hmm. the narrow gate. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Mm. As a Christian God's spiritual kingdom, we need to expect hardships. Uh, Jesus promised them. However, what lies before you is the physical kingdom. So I think it's important for everyone just to know that you don't have to continue down this road perfectly to get to eternal life. You're just going down the trail and you're going to have difficult times. And we're even going to see that at the end of Jesus's sermon here. So that was a very simple analogy. Uh, anything you want to add to that before? Yeah, the broad path is yeah. to follow your heart, you know, uh-huh. to Proverbs twenty eight twenty six, 26. Uh, and the person who follows his own heart is a fool. Uh, uh-huh. There is a way that seems right to a man, uh, the broad way, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So I'm thankful for the narrow gate because through Jesus, we actually have access to the Father uh, because the broad gate might seem very appealing, but it's a dangerous path. And that, and that shows that many will not be saved. That's right. And I, not to be a dead horse, but people choose. Yeah. They choose either to walk down one gate or walk down the other. That's right. Um, it's not predetermined. So we'll, we can get into that another day. Sure. <laughs> That's right. It's true. So then we move to identifying false prophets. Mm. So as we were recording, the power got knocked off or something happened. <laughs> And we're just talking to ourselves, having a good old conversation. <laughs> it was so profound. <laughs> you know, the secrets of life were revealed. I know. Yeah. We'll never see them again. But in all seriousness, uh, we're two identifying false prophets. So let's just pick it up there. So if you see the camera cut, that that's why. So Jesus is coming now to talk about identifying false prophets. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus the prophet will guide the crowds on identifying false prophets. But sadly, this passage has been widely misused, with many attempting to apply it universally to all Christians. Now, I'm stressing that Jesus is a prophet, not Mm -hmm. Muhammad, as the Muslims say, because he is the one who is bringing all these true messages. Mm. And later on, you're going to have a bunch of people bring in all these false messages Mm-hmm. And he's saying how to tell them apart. It's going to be by their words. Now, I want to touch on this very quickly, just so it doesn't confuse people. The kingdom of God is timeless. Mm-hmm. The spiritual kingdom of God is timeless. That means that from the beginning of time till now, the kingdom of God exists. The spiritual kingdom. We are living in the spiritual kingdom. Right. We submit to Christ. We worship the Father. Once we're saved, we become part of his kingdom, mm-hmm. obviously by putting our faith, and then sure. after that, the works, hopefully, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's salvation brings you into the kingdom. But we are not in the physical kingdom. That will happen in the future, after tribulation, so forth. We already went into all of that. So this is talking about identifying false prophets who are in the kingdom trying to speak on behalf of God. And you have to remember, and as we both obviously know, at the beginning of the church age, because the church hasn't been born yet Mm -hmm. when Jesus is teaching in time, um, when the church is born, you only have the Old Testament (laughs) and Jesus's words, which haven't even been written down until a little later on. So you have to listen to prophets and say, okay, is Mm -hmm. this message from God or is this from the wicked one? So Jesus is saying, hey, this is how 
you can tell the prophet. Mm-hmm. Now, a dangerous belief exists that everyone in the spiritual kingdom of God should become fruit inspectors to determine if someone is truly saved. However, this is not the intended point that Jesus is making. Yeah. Um, I want you to consider David's sin with Bathsheba. Mm. Uh, here he is. He does this horrible act. He murders her husband, Uriah, and then he covers up. He keeps it covered up for a while. If we were to inspect his fruit, mm-hmm. as many would preach today, would we think that David is saved or unsaved? Mm. We say he's an adulterer. He's a murderer. Mm-hmm. He tries to cover it up. Yeah. He's not repentant for a while until he's confronted. We might say, oh, he's not saved. Or uh, Peter, he denied Jesus three times. Mm. Was he unsaved? Should we inspect his fruit and say, well, he was unsaved? We can go back in time to old lots wow. we laugh about. Yeah. It says he was righteous. Right. He must have been saved, but everything he did seemed to be horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so should we say he wasn't saved? Or the intoxicated naked Noah? Mm-hmm. You know, did he not persevere to the end? Yeah. <laughs> was he good, but then he lost his faith and did foolishness? Is Jesus teaching that we should observe everyone in the church or in the kingdom and judge their worthiness of salvation based on their actions? And the answer is no. Right. Yet in many pulpits today, this is what is taught, you know, and we have to verify. Obviously, once we're Christians, we should bear fruit and right. good actions. We should do those things. But those don't prove that we are saved. Those So, anything you want to share there? Yeah, sadly, I think um, what has been thrust upon the church, and it is broad, is that we have become fruit inspectors. And based upon this passage, and then one in James that we'll talk about, I'm sure, in the future. And fruit is something that we are to bear, but salvation— is separate. I mean, even when you look at when Paul is making the argument in Romans about we're all are sinners, and when he wants to talk about salvation, to whom does he go? He goes back to Abraham, and he believed God. That's it. Deal done. Now, when it comes to the false prophets here, we take a look at not only their works, Peter exposes some of those, but then also their words. And I think that's important. We think of fruit often as a work, and it can be. But over in Matthew chapter 12, as Jesus is talking and he's confronting uh, those who are are sinning and and renouncing his miracles, uh, he says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And then he goes on to say, every idle word men will speak, they'll give an account of the judgment. Verse 37, for by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. In other words, you can tell a lot by the message of someone. That was the standard biblically. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, if someone made a prediction, false prophet, they stoned them. Uh, and then even in 1 John 4, how do we test the spirits another way? How do we know if someone is saved um, or preaching for Christ or not? You evaluate their message. Oh. And that's what John goes on to say. And that's clear the context here. Yeah. It's the words of false prophets. Yeah. So there's other passages that talk about, you know, mm. uh, church discipline when you yeah. find a brother or sister in sin. Sure. Um but Jesus is not addressing that. Exactly. And 
The danger of being fruit inspectors is we just judge everyone mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. based on if they're saved or not, which I think is very dangerous. We looked at the Corinthians. You have a man who's married his mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. You have gross immorality. And you would say, those people aren't saved. Look at their fruit based on what Jesus said. Yeah. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Exactly. So Jesus is saying, look, this is how... I'm a good prophet. Listen to my words. Mm-hmm. Also listen to false prophets, and you can tell them by their message. Yes. So that's the context here. So Jesus is simply warning the people who encounter both good and false prophets on how to recognize a false prophet. Remember, and this is, it's so simple, it's stupid, yeah. but it's so clear. Mm. A false prophet claims to speak for God, but their message is false. That's whether a false prophet. A false prophet. So yeah. how can a false prophet be identified by observing their false message, their mm. bad fruit? We're even going to see later on in this passage that the unsaved are going to point to their good works mm. and say, we did all these things for you, Jesus. Right. Let us into the kingdom where he's going to say, I never knew you. Exactly. So it seems to be their words here. Mm-hmm. Verse 15, be on your guard against false prophets identifies who it's talking about, Mm -hmm. who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Yeah. So observe that the primary object of a false prophet is deception. Mm -hmm. These deceptive figures look like sheep. They're engaging in good works. They're probably encouraging, probably tickling people's ears, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and seemingly sharing messages on behalf of God. However, the truth is, They are wolves who are seeking to impart false teachings not aligned with God, eventually posing a threat to the well-being of the unsuspecting sheep. And how does Jesus say you'll recognize them? You'll recognize them by their fruit. Mm. So this is the fruit of their lips. In other words, listen to the fruit of their lips and assess the prophet's message. Exactly. Does the prophet speak God's word? You'll know by what words he speaks. Mm. We mentioned this earlier, but James or Jesus had a biological brother. He had four of them. I remember teaching this with the little children when I drew the pictures and all that. Mm-hmm. And one of his brothers was James, and that is the James who wrote the book of James. Leader in the church, we know it's not the other James, mm-hmm. brother of John, because he was killed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> killed pretty early. Mm-hmm. So this is Jesus's biological brother, James. People say half-brother, but he's mm-hmm. a brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his use of the word here employs the same idea. Yeah. This is what he says. And he's talking about the tongue. Mm-hmm. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a spring produce fresh water. And he's talking about blessing and cursing there. But we see he employs the same language that Jesus is using mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's some parallels in that aspect. Exactly. Jesus the prophet would have his words and teachings tested and authenticated because they were in agreement with the Old Testament. Old Testament doesn't exist. New Testament doesn't exist yet. This is the direct opposite of a false prophet whose words contradict God's mm-hmm. word. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's also a timeless principle you can take from a false teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does the word align with God's word? Not not. They're false. Jesus will then give a few simple analogies. By evaluating the false prophet's message, you can tell if the prophet is sent by God or is false. 
And then he uses language that the common people understand. Mm -hmm. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. (laughs) In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good prophet speaks words that can be tested and evaluated, pointing to that it was sent from God. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, a false prophet speaks words that can be tested and evaluated as false, proving that he was not sent from God. Jesus goes on to say, a good, tree, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, once again, Jesus makes simple analogies. People often read into them. You know, oh, this must mean that those people aren't saved and they get thrown into hellfire and mm-hmm. all this stuff, which may be true, but that's not what Jesus exactly. is saying. The crowd listening to Jesus understands that a good farmer removes a worthless tree, mm-hmm. takes up room. He mm-hmm. cuts it down, he burns it, he uses it for something profitable, and plants, hopefully a good one, in its place. In the same way, believers should identify the bad teachings of a false prophet and separate for him or become dead to him because he is worthless. That's all Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen to a prophet if the message is false. Turn them off. <laughs> and when you take a look from other passages, what's behind the prophet? I'll give you a quick example. Second Peter 2.10, they despise authority. So they're not under authority. They hate authority. Second Peter 2.14, they're immoral. Second Peter 2.15, they're greedy for money. Second Peter 2.18, uh, they ha- they're just empty. You know, I mean, there's just, there's just nothing in them uh, that's, that's good. And then in uh, 219, they're slaves of sin. So they have empty talk. <laughs> and, 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 and I think the point sin. is the talk represents yeah. all of this. And, and that's it in this passage here. But this is who yeah. Uh, yeah. the people are. Yeah. So if you're greedy for money, you're going to preach about, give me lots of money. Exactly. <laughs> if you're empty, you don't have anything to say. Yeah. And how many sermons have we said through? Wow. Yeah. But just evaluate the person bringing the message. That's right. So Jesus says, you'll recognize them by their Fruit. Absolutely. With all that said, Jesus is saying, listen to the prophets, and you can tell if they're sent by God or not. So Jesus is now going to transition, and he's going to go to the future judgment. This is the sheep and goat judgment and judgment of the rod, mm-hmm. passing under the rod, in which people who have rejected Jesus will be judged. Like I said, I'll, I'll post that video mm-hmm. with these two judgments later. The sheep and the goat, simply Gentile, mm-hmm. passing under the rod, Jewish. Mm-hmm. So, this is an important question right here, because people take verse 21 out of context. Yes. Because Jesus is going to say in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of people are going to say, well, see, you have to do good works to be saved, because mm-hmm. you have to do the will. It's yeah. all action. But- what is the will of the Father? Great question. And I think that's, when I'm working through Bible studies and sermons, I don't want to ask obvious questions. Yeah. You know, should I not steal? It's like, yeah. if you're talking to adults, duh. This is a question I think that's worthy is, what is the will of the Father? Mm. For, and it's simple, for mankind to place their faith in his son's finished work. Think about what Jesus says in John 3, 16. He says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So what did he do? He sent his son. Why? So everyone could believe. 
Now let's make it crystal clear from John 6, 40. Mm -hmm. For this is the will of my Father, (laughs) that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus will teach that after the tribulation has passed, and it is time for the judgments, that he will reject those who never believed in him. These people will point to all their good works, which are quite impressive. Yeah. Casting out demons, prophecy. If people are evaluating, they're going, they're the saved (laughs) ones. Look what they're doing. And all the things they have done for Jesus, but Jesus will say he never knew them. Why? Because the Father's will was for the people to place their faith in Jesus. And if anyone questions that, please read the one book that has written to unbelievers how to be saved. And you'll see over and over again, Jesus says, the will of my Father is that people believe on me. He states at 1 Timothy 2.4 about God who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the will of the fathers that people would believe in the Son. Yeah. And there's no, as I've been looking at, predetermined, there's all this that before time began, God had this will, Mm -hmm. and he just chose only those who would be saved and those who will also be unsaved. And it's foolishness. It's brought by early philosophers, Mm -hmm. Stoics. Manny. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's some weird, weird, just Gnostic stuff. Yeah. And yet we see that propagated by MacArthur, Piper, Sproul, and it's foolishness. Well, I read your post the other day you know, on Facebook about uh, showing a connection from John Calvin you know, to Augustine you know, in Augustine AD 412. For the first 25 years, he believed in free will, yeah. as did all. And I'm not, you know, all church All church literally. Fathers. Uh, believed for in free first will for the first 400 years. <laughs> and so when Augustine, because of his debate with others, mm-hmm. went to an extreme, what did he revert back to? His, like you point out, Stoicism, Gnosticism. Yeah. And it was it was dangerous because those were the philosophies that showed God being whimsical and just picking someone, but then holding people accountable uh-huh. when he's picked them to do something. That's modern-day Calvinism. Uh-huh. So it goes from Calvin back to Augustine missing the first 400 years oh. of teaching of the church fathers. And then as we see uh, Luther and those guys, and they all start saying, well, all the church fathers must have taught this. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. They, Go back and look. They, they didn't. Yeah. I don't even think Paul taught it, which yeah. is more important. But point being, everyone can be saved, but it's by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, faith is available to everyone. Um, some people say it's only given to the elect. No, it's it's given to all. And God doesn't have two wills. You know, I love that there's the, as they say, there's the will mm-hmm. that is known. What yeah. do they call it? The prescribed will or whatever, yeah. which we find in scripture. But then there's the secret will, which they happen to know, Yeah, which is that God picked who's saved and who's not saved before time began. Yeah. And we have to follow that script. Mm-hmm. And they will argue tooth and nail with you and then use the exact same language. But- conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. Point being that these people did not place their faith in Jesus Christ. And what do they say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Some people say you must do good works to get into heaven. However, we will see these unbelievers did many good works and will point to their works as the reasons to get into the kingdom, yet they will be rejected. Remember context, this is after tribulation. So this is appointed, applying to that time. Why? 
because they rejected God's will of putting faith in Jesus. And notice their good works. I, I wish I had some of these works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're pretty awesome. On that day, many will say to me, Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? I mean, those are... So like the early church apostles, <laughs> yeah, right? So yeah, some pretty awesome yeah. works there. Yeah. And on that day, as I've stayed before, it talks about the, the judgments, mm-hmm. end time judgments. Mm-hmm. And Jesus talks about, and we'll just look really quick at the sheep and goat judgment, because mm-hmm. I, I can tell both judgments are pretty similar. Yeah. Um, so, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, now notice this is why they wanted to crucify Jesus later, mm-hmm. because when he says the Son of Man comes in glory, they know exactly what that's speaking exactly. about with Daniel and all the angels with him. Mm-hmm. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, nations being Gentiles, Mm -hmm. and he will separate them one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. So all these people who somehow survived the tribulation, (laughs) who are saved, get to enter into the kingdom. And- I have a lot of videos on this, but and you do too from your Book of Revelation series. Yeah, These are the ones who will have children, and then their children will rebel. Because mm-hmm. people say, well, how will there be sinners in the kingdom? Well, that, that's why. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. No people mentioned here, huh? Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. It's, it's designed <laughs> for the devil and his angels. Yeah, And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Mm. And how do we find righteousness? By putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So this parallels perfectly with verse 23. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And think of that in this context. Jesus is the only one who pays the price for all lawbreakers by placing your faith in him. Mm. Since Jesus Jesus does not know them, they are not saved. I mean, Mm -hmm. He, in a sense, knows who they are, but he knows that they did not have a relationship with him. And they are judged guilty for breaking his moral law and Mm -hmm. must be judged. Because I I think you'd agree with me at the end of time, people will be judged, the unsaved, based on their works. Yeah. And their works will show they are not saved. (laughs) So Jesus will now end his sermon by giving uh, the crowd a choice to make, either listen to his words and stand strong or reject his words and be destroyed. Mm. Is there anything you want to say about the other before we finish here on two foundations? Or uh, No, just the critical good? thing, just real quickly. I never knew you. It's all about a relationship with mm. Jesus. And people need to separate justification and sanctification with this whole fruit issue. Because if you don't do that, you're going to get confused. Because in the Calvinistic circles... They say, oh, I know salvation's by faith alone, but it's never alone. In you other have words, to persevere. You have to you have persevere. To, and a I'm million going, things. Paul talks about people at Corinth having been struck dead because they didn't approach the, what, did they persevere to the end? Because they, you know, <laughs> no, when they got to the communion table, they were struck dead because of not uh, honoring the Lord's table. It's, it's man-made philosophy thrust upon scripture. And the whole perseverance of the saints is generally taken from passages that are applied to the end times with you continues to the end will be saved. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even speaking of salvation. Yeah. In some aspects, it's talking about your literal life may be saved and then you'll enter into the kingdom. And one other thing quickly, if you go back and track that teaching, uh-huh. 
it really went a lot back to infant baptism yes. in the formulation of that doctrine, which should yeah. spook people. Uh, but that's where it originated from. Yeah, so you look at infant baptism, taking the words of Jesus, continuing yeah. to the end. They can take that out of context yeah. and say, well, see, all people have to continue to the end to be spiritually saved. Yeah. It's like, mm, I would question that, especially with people like Solomon and such. Right. How many people ended well? Not many in the Bible, to be frankly honest. Look at the judges. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty bad. So now we're going to end with, well, almost end, the two foundations. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not a politician because a politician generally names a problem and doesn't answer how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you work people up and say, you wretched people are whatever. And yeah. here he's going to say, okay, now you have a choice. You've heard my words. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Mm-hmm. Notice the wise person not only hears, but in faith acts on it. So it's not saying you have to be saved to do that, but you should act upon Jesus's words. Right. That's true faith. The house, I think, is symbolic of one's life, you know, and the rock is Jesus's teaching. It's sure. very plain. Mm-hmm. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse mm-hmm. because its foundation was on the rock. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just very simple picture of the trials of life. Yeah. It's, I do not like, I love rain, but I do not like when you have that super heavy uh, wind mm-hmm. that yeah. sometimes feels like it's going to knock your house down. No one loves flooding uh, because it ruins everything. In other words, the person is getting hit with all the trials of life, mm-hmm. but since the person obeys the word of Jesus, he is able to stand. Uh, his house does not fall. And I think this is very much dealing with our sanctification process. Exactly. Once you're saved, you take all Jesus' words, you apply them, mm-hmm. and when difficult times come, you can just stand. Every, you can be a Job. Everything crumbles around mm-hmm. you, and you don't fall. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the stand. So Jesus addresses those who hear his words. Doesn't mean they obey them. I think that's important to understand. You just hear them. You've been to church, people in the field, Mm -hmm. you know, listening to Jesus' teaching, but does not act on them. So they don't place faith in it. This person's life is built upon their own philosophy since they have rejected Jesus's truth. Mm. So... Notice again, even on the broad way, life is hard. (laughs) The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded the house, and it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. So the storms of life come, and this person falls apart. And we've witnessed this, many broken homes and ruined families. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People who might like Jesus's teachings, they're like, yeah, they're good morally, but don't apply them, may end up with ruined lives. And especially spiritually, they will. That's right. Now, the sermon has ended on this note. Mm. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his teachings because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Right. Who quoted then, just from everybody else because that's yeah. where they derive their authority. Yeah. And I always want to be careful as a pastor not to always be quoting everybody else, exactly. but always take it back to Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of movements out there. If your movement has to be before the name of your church, you might have a problem. Just saying. The crowd is amazed by Jesus' authority. Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God, spoke God's word, and it cut the people to their hearts. Mm. 
But we're about to get into our employment points. Anything you want to add there? No, wait till we jump into employment points. Okay. That's great. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about Jesus's <laughs> words. They're very to the point. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a lot to break down. Mm. We have three employment points. So, number one, prepare for struggles as you progress down the narrow path, looking forward to eternal life. Jesus flat out told his followers that following him would be difficult. He did not sugarcoat this reality. That's what I do with our young people. I always try to tell them that life is going to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. You can have joy. <laughs> yeah. You can have joy in the journey. You can en- enjoy it in the sense that you're obeying the words of Christ. And when bad times come, it's still good. Yeah. But you are going to have difficult times as a follower of Christ. I think we need to take a look where it all begins with salvation. It's narrow. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and mm-hmm. the life. That's narrow. He is not a lamb of God. He's the no. lamb of God. That's narrow. So the pathway for salvation, one way. Sanctification is the same. Uh, it's very narrow. I mean, although we watch people who name the name of Christ do just about everything these uh-huh. days, it doesn't align with the scripture. Uh-huh. So it's narrow. And then finally, with the narrowing, often God uses us greatly uh-huh. when we're narrowed. Paul put under house arrest. Uh-huh. He's narrowed, but he writes four beautiful books, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And even the servant or the slave in some of the parables, that's narrow. Mm-hmm. But one day, what do they do? Rule over cities. In other words, during the millennial kingdom, they'll be greatly rewarded. So narrow means a good thing. Is You might be narrowed now, but it leads to great oh. things in the future. And encourage people, yet those who place their faith in him can look forward to the eternal life they already possess. Right. If you're in a faith that says you don't already have it, get out. Mm-hmm. So question you should ask yourself, how am I taking Jesus's words and using them to prepare myself for hardships that are coming? This is partly why we do Bible memorization. Exactly. This is why we have Bible study. This is why we come together to encourage each other. Mm. Thoughts. How can I deepen my understanding of the eternal life promised by Jesus and allow it to shape my response to present and future challenges? Mm-hmm. Since we possess basically that eternal life, mm-hmm. how does that change the way we live? And it should change us greatly because we shouldn't fear, we shouldn't be afraid. Um, so then a two, evaluate the words of teachers to identify if they are a sheep or a wolf. Jesus tells his followers how to identify false prophets, someone who says they speak for God. Mm-hmm. He told them to evaluate their words and the fruit of their lips mm-hmm. will reveal if they are sent from God or not. So I think a relevant question, kind of a timeless principles uh, do the teachers I listen to teach God's word accurately, or do they teach doctrines and philosophy that seem biblical but contradict God's words? So we literally don't have prophets today, but we have false teachers, yeah. which are usually paired together, false prophets, false teachers. And do we listen to their words, and do they sway us? And even those in Christian circles that sometimes get the most attention, they make these tough statements if you look at the statement, many of them don't align with scripture. Yeah. And I think sometimes we applaud them because they, they just seem, you know, like they're just, yeah. you know, if, if you have sinned, you know, it doesn't, it shows you're not saved and yeah. all, all these kind of things. Uh, compare everybody's statements with the scripture yeah. and you'll do well. And not just one verse. Yeah. <laughs> and not just one verse. Look at yeah. the complete doctrine, unless one doctrine yeah. is built on a verse. Look at the complete council yeah. and see where those ideas originate from. Yeah. Because uh, I, I find it's generally a jumping board. Mm-hmm. People get a philosophy, and then they take that philosophy and put it on Scripture, where it should be we should 
look at our look mm-hmm. at the scripture and then yeah. how we live is based on that. Absolutely. So are there pastors, teachers, and this is thoughts you should have. Mm-hmm. Are there pastors, teachers, YouTubers, podcasters, whatever, that I should stop listening to because they are promoting false doctrines that may cause me to stumble? Should I be like the farmer who separates myself or make myself dead to them? I know there's people I stop listening to because I don't want to waste my time. Exactly. I see so many people listen to all this false stuff. And unless you're truly an apologist mm-hmm. or you're just trying to understand the other side right. so that you know how to debate it, you have to be very careful because false doctrines are appealing. Mm-hmm. Where I think it's important that we should know their arguments because we mm-hmm. want to make sure that we're not in the wrong side. Exactly. If, if they're presenting biblical arguments, then we should say, hey, I could be wrong. Let's take this to scripture. But once you know someone is wrong in a certain area, mm-hmm. we have to be very cautious. Right. And I think the hard thing with that is there are some pastors who are solid on some areas. They're good mm-hmm. teachers with some doctrines, but then you get to other doctrines and it's awful. Mm-hmm. You listen to what they say, where they might give practical advice on some parts of life. Uh, they might point out movements that are bad and you're like, you know what, that's really good. And it is. But then all of a sudden they start telling you things that's like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I, I separate myself because first of all, I don't want to waste my time. Exactly. Um, you know, once I heard, especially Piper, say that God ordained all things, including the rape of children, the Holocaust, that yeah. was his goodwill to make those things happen. Done. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> right. like, huh? yeah. we know that yeah. evil does not come from the fire, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life. That's right. Um, Jesus said, God himself says, when they're sacrificing their children, I did not decree that. Um I, I can't listen to that because then who's your view? Who's what's your real view of God? Yeah. So, just a thought. Separate yourself. Who cares how popular yeah. they are? And then three. Obey Jesus's teaching to stand during difficult times. And the end of his sermon kind of reflects his kind of closing statements he was making. Mm-hmm. Jesus told his followers to obey his word. Simple. If they do, they will be able to withstand all that is thrown at them. So question to ask yourself, have I embraced Jesus's teachings by applying them in my everyday life? What are some examples I can give of applying his word? The whole part of this podcast is, first of all, we get the knowledge, mm-hmm. we get it accurately, mm-hmm. but then we apply it. Exactly. Um, it's not an exercise of just mental thought. It's mm-hmm. not a philosophical maneuvering. It's, okay, this is what God's word says. How can I do this? And thoughts. Maybe I should challenge myself and memorize parts of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. A quick thought before we go to our, before I see if you have any thoughts. Mm-hmm. We did our goals with our young adults, and it was encouraging mm-hmm. uh, at Bible study. Some of them were very specific. As a pastor, I've learned you need to be specific with goals. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, one kid might say, I want to be healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, you have to define what that healthy goal looks like. Is it hitting the gym three times a week? Is it eating certain food? Is it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I noticed that every single person in the group, not one had Bible memory because it's really takes time and effort. So as a youth group this year, young adults, we are memorizing the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. the Beatitudes, and I'm hoping to kind of push them to memorize more, but just as a starting point. Because I'm, I, I fear a lot of us aren't memorizing 
so we we don't know how to stand during difficult times. What would you like? Anything you'd like to add or? Yeah, I've uh, worked through the Beatitudes and memorized them, and it's one of my go-to passages because oh. I think we need ammunition when Satan attacks us. Mm-hmm. Uh, large blocks of scripture will do that wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my heart I've sought you. Let me not wander from your commandment. Your word I've what hid in my heart mm-hmm. that I might not sin against you. And I I commend you highly because I think we need to encourage people to go back and memorize and then meditate upon what they learn, to take that extra step in Bible study, which will profit them tremendously. And it takes time and effort. And that's why this year, each day, I'm reading a book of the New Testament. Good for you. Because you need, now I can do that because I'm a pastor and I have the time to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Not everyone has the time. Uh, Of course, if you watch a two-hour football game, you could read through the whole book of Matthew in that time. That's right. Just saying. But- I think when you read a whole book, all of a sudden a lot of the bad doctrine becomes clear to you because you get the complete thought all at one time. Where even we, it's very simple to say, okay, this paragraph is all by itself. Where it's like that paragraph is part of a bigger paragraph that's you know part of something else. Uh, Just to give an example, real quick, I'm I'm doing, and to me, it's always one of the oddest stories is when the woman comes to Jesus. I believe it's Luke 7, and she anoints him, kisses mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. and then there's Simon the prophet there. I was sorry, the Pharisee, mm-hmm. Simon the Pharisee. He wasn't a prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doubted that Jesus was a prophet. I worked through your fire method with it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I read it. that. It was yeah. well done. Thank you. And I'm going to be teaching that on Sunday night. And as I was doing it, one of the questions in your fire method, mm-hmm. which is for preaching, understanding the Word of God, is what is the passage before, what is the passage after. Exactly. So I like looking chronologically. Mm-hmm. So chronologically, Jesus had just rebuked the cities that rejected him. And then he said, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. You know. Then in the very next passage, this woman comes to Jesus, and she is a real woman, obviously, known as mm-hmm. a sinner, probably a prostitute, who had listened to his message and was saved. Mm-hmm. She comes, she worships him, just like the heavy-laden person, mm-hmm. where Simon is much like those cities that rejects Jesus, yeah. saying, if he was a prophet, he would know what type of woman this was. And then Jesus proves he's a prophet by reading his mind and saying, let me tell you this, Simon. <laughs> so, But the point being, if you look at the passage before the context, it's beautiful what that passage is setting up. And the very next yes. passage— is Luke 8, once again, chronologically, and you see that it's women who provide for Jesus. So it's just kind of a picture, and it just all kind of flows. Yeah. But point being, when we read in chunks, you yeah. lose a lot of this foolishness of just taking one verse here, one verse here, and saying, this is what the context is saying. Exactly. Um, so that was uh, Podcast 30. Sermon on the Mount, the narrow road identifying false prophets, unbelievers rejected by Jesus, obeying Jesus' words from Matthew 7, 13 through 29. Uh, We'll see you next time as that concludes the Sermon on the Mount.